you just sit down, so I hate to ask you to stand back up. We're going to dive right into the Word. We're going to dig in it. So uh, if you could, please turn your Bibles to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, right at the very, very back before the grand work of Revelation. We're going to be in the book of Jude today. And specifically, our, our passage we're going to uh, focus on when we get to it is uh, Jude 1, verse 20 through 23. Verse 20 through 23. It reads, But you, beloved... Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by their flesh. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, for bringing us to your house this morning. Thank you, Lord, for just being with us every day and every minute. Thank you for being with us and, and strengthening us. And, and today we're going to open your word and we're going to dive into it. We're going to dig into it and we're going to apply it to our lives. So, Lord, may you be glorified this morning. And thank you, Lord, for just being uh, with us and the ability to open your word and read your book. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right. You see, it'd just be mean if I asked you to stand up again now, wouldn't it? I'll just play. That's <laughs> So, whew, that song, though, it gets, you, it gets you pumped up. It's really good, and, and uh, I liked it. Just for the record, it's the first time I ever sung it. So I'm glad Chris, when he told me, he said, you just got to sing the chorus. I said, thank goodness. Whew, that's good. But no, I enjoyed it. Y'all enjoyed it as well. So um, but that gets you pumped up, and, and we're going to go to the book of Jude today. And it, again, it's a short book, and, and thank you for, for hanging with us as we went through 1 John and 2 John and 3 John and now Jude. Um, and so, but we're going to look at Jude today. And I want you to think back kind of through the course of history about, you know, how much resources people have put into protecting their country, protecting their state, protecting their families, protecting each other, right? We go to great lengths to protect those things. We've built walls around cities. We've built missiles. We've built fighter jets. We've built all of these things to help defend what is so important to us, what is so precious to us, whether it's a real attack, whether it's a threatened attack, whether it's imagined attack. We have put so much time and energy and resources into defending it. And the book of Jude today is to challenge us to put those same type of energy and resources into the most precious gift, and that is the gift of eternal life. Why are we not putting infinite value, or it has infinite value to us, why are we not putting forth resources to protect it? It's an important task we have as believers, and an awesome responsibility, and a profound privilege to have the right to defend God's word. And that's what the book of Jude is about. So hopefully you're still there. And yes, we're going to read through it. Thankfully it's only one page. Right. We're going to read through it. We're going to start right at the very beginning. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied for you. See, my son often gets on me a little bit. He'll, he'll get on me. He said, you didn't know that. You're the assistant pastor. <laughs> right? He likes to challenge me. Right? Makes the title's all about it. But the good thing about God's Word is you get into it, and you will study it, and you will put it in your heart forever. You will study it 
over and over and over. And I share that with you because I, I enjoy it when my son does that because we learn things together. I didn't know Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. Right? And you may not have known that. Right? But Jude was Jesus' half-brother. And he leaves that out here, I think, as a, as a humble sign of it doesn't matter who he knows for the authority of letter. What matters is that he's a servant of Jesus Christ just like we are when we receive Jesus into our hearts. So, but Jude is the author of this letter here. And he, he starts off, and he, he is a very powerful thing of three, but he says to those who are called, so those are those who accepted the invitation and become disciples of Jesus, to those who are beloved in God, and that's that divine love that includes that, that goodwill toward others, and those that are kept for Jesus Christ. And you'll see this word keep or kept a few times as we go through this letter, but kept by Christ. There's encouragement just in that one phrase right there is that, you know, Jesus keeps a watchful care over us and protects us from harm. So he starts off this letter with several, several good things here. So we're going to go through um, now in chapter, verse 3. It says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So has anybody ever started to do something and then they went somewhere else? Yeah, we can all relate to that, right? You know, just yesterday, my wife, she went to, um, she went to drop off a, a gift and then she realized it was near a friend's house and she spent three hours with her, right? That wasn't what she planned, <laughs> right? But we all have that in our lives. We go through things, we have a plan, but it just doesn't quite work out that way. And here Jude is planning on writing this letter of salvation, wouldn't that be a great, awesome letter to talk about salvation? But he heard about a problem in the church, about a problem in the church. And he appeals to us to contend for the faith. And that's a, that's a, a word that we, you know, we, we get so much. And he challenges us with here on how to contend, how to fight for the faith, how to protect the faith. He doesn't tell us how to do it here, but he tells us in our main passage, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes, but that's the challenge and the purpose of this letter is to encourage us to stand up and fight for our faith. So what's going wrong? It's very similar to what we've been talking about. Verse 4, it says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed. Crept in where? Crept into the church unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who, are, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So certain people have crept into the church unnoticed. Right? And I was like, how in the world do they creep in unnoticed? Right? And there was, uh, I found this article here, Eight ways that the false teaching infiltrates the church. I'm not going to share um, all eight, but I'm going to share one or two. But just want to let you know, in case you didn't know, some people don't like spiders. I don't like snakes. And so I printed this article out, and I went to ask, uh, I think, Joel this morning. I was like, can you cut this out for me? He goes, what do you mean cut out? I was like, well, look at this thing. Ugh! A little snake there. Oh, right on the article, right? And Renee said, you should do that. It'd be funny. It was funny, right? And uh, I was like, <laughs> I cut that out. And um, I was like, oh, I just hate even bringing that up here. As soon as I get rid of this paper, I'm setting it down. Right? But, uh, but how do false teachings infiltrate the church? And there was a couple. I felt good when I read this. 
I felt good for our church family when I read this. But there's always a warning to be on the lookout, right? The first one is how does false teaching creep into the church? And it's a failure. The number one reason is the failure to preach the word of God. I believe that we're teaching it and preaching it here. We're in it. And we've, we tackle those hard topics, and which is another reason is there too little attention for addressing the false teachings that permeate society. And on this pulpit, we're not afraid to talk about those tough issues and where they're at biblically. But we can't just say it up here. We have to study and know it out there. And that is actually your responsibility. And that's actually how people, how false teachings infiltrate the church because the congregation assumes that the preacher is always right. They assume that it's always right. You don't think that you have a, have a responsibility in this? Turn to Acts 17. Brian, I just added this this morning, so if you can find it, great. But if not, I'm going to turn right to it. Acts 17.11. Acts 17.11. Paul is sharing the gospel, sharing the message right, to the Jews. And he says this in Acts 17.11. He says, Now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, to see if these things were so. To see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed. We preach the word of God. You take it in with all eagerness. It's a few yawns this morning, but you're here. right? You take it in with eagerness. But the last couple of weeks, if I asked you to take the 22 minutes to read 1 John, or the 18 minutes to read 2 John, or the 19 minutes to read 3 John, don't show your hands on who actually read it. Some did and some didn't. But it's your responsibility as members of the church to open God's word, to read it, talk to other brothers and sisters, and let's check it with each other. And let's compare it throughout the entire book to make sure it's consistent with the character of God. Right? So that's one way that it can creep in if we fail to do that. So those are just a, a couple of ways of the, that the false teachings creep into the church. And that's exactly what had happened here in the book of Jude. And that's why he was writing this letter, because those false teachings have slipped in. Verse 5, 6, and 7. He gives us three examples from the Old Testament. Three examples from the Old Testament um, here about uh, how rebellion... And false teachings creep into the church. So verse 5, it says, Now I want to remind you, although you have once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe it. That's in Numbers 14. If you want to go back and look at that, Numbers 14. Verse 6, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. That's in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. That's in Genesis 19. See, he pulls back and gives those three examples of rebellion. That's, he's telling us to warn us. Don't you like it when you get a warning sign? Right? Right? Before you get hit with something, 
That's the thing at work. The, the, our main customer, he said, hey, look, if something bad's going to happen and there's a train coming my way, at least just tell me. <laughs> tell me so that I can figure out how quick I need to get off the track so it doesn't hit me. Right? But God's given us these warning signs here, and Jude's giving us or reminding his readers of the warning signs of what's going to happen. Verse 8, it says, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blasphemy the glorious ones. Right? So he's setting this up here um, about what these types of false teachers are doing. Right? They're relying on their own dreams. Whatever thoughts and things just pop into their head, that's what they're taking as divine wisdom. They're not comparing it and studying it right up against the word. They're defiling the flesh. We're supposed to treat our temples, as a, our bodies as a temple of God, right? But do we do that? No, they're engaging in sin and other acts that are not according to the scriptures. They're rejecting authority and blasphemy the holy ones, the glorious ones. They're not have, they don't have God in their life. There's no obedience in there. It's what they want to do and what makes them feel better. And we've talked about that last couple of weeks, what makes me feel better, right? It might not be what the scripture says, but it makes me feel better, so it must be okay. That's called relative truth, not absolute truth. What's true for everyone in all times and all places. All right, in verse 9, this is like a little bonus material. A lot of people get bogged down with it. There's a... Um, this story here, you think, where did this come from? There's actually other Old Testament passages and scriptures, and, there, and there's one, the book of Enoch. And Enoch is in the, is in the scriptures, is, is in Genesis, and there's some other writings that the, Old, the, uh, the, Chet, the New Testament church, excuse me, and the Jewish community still use. And this is pulled from there. In verse 9 it says, But when the archangel, archangel Michael, excuse me, contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So where, where does this come into and what does it mean? And that's a good point here. It says, the point of contrast between the false teachers and Michael is not that Michael treated the devil with respect. And the moral is not that we should be polite to the devil. The point of contrast is that even Michael could not reject the devil's accusation on his own authority. Even though the devil was motivated by malice and Michael recognized his accusation was slanders, he could not himself dismiss the devil because he was not the judge. Who's the judge? God is the judge. And God is the only one that has that power and authority. So that's that small lesson there that we have to be careful, right? We can't be polite with the devil. We can't play games with the devil. We have to rely on God's authority, and when those false teachings and things creep into the church unnoticed, we have to hit them with the authority of what God is giving us in His Word. In verse 11, He's given us another set of three warnings. Whenever you hear the word woe in the Scripture, that's a problem. Something bad's coming. Woe. <laughs> woe. Right? And it gives us three situations here in verse 11. It says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. So three situations there. You might be familiar with one of the three. You might be familiar with all three. Right? But in, in Cain is in Genesis 4. If you want to read that this week, Genesis 4. 
Right? What did Cain do? He rejected God's salvation and refused to make a blood sacrifice. He worshiped God in his own way. Balaam's error is found in Numbers 22, and then it ends in 31:16. That's talking about the greed that we have in us. Right? The greed that we have in us as he led others to sin for his own personal gain. That story is interesting because he led people astray and led them into sin so that he could gain wealth. That's a tough story. But it parallels to some temptations and struggles that we may face about causing other brothers and sisters to struggle and to stumble. And then Korah's rebellion is found in number 16, where he rejected the authority of Moses and tried to assume power for himself. I think it's interesting here, and I'm probably over, you, you over-spiritualize things sometimes, but I like the way these words read. If you go back with me to verse 11, for, the, for they walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. If you look at the word, if you go to way, the way of Cain, if the way is the wrong way, you end up in error of Balaam, and then you end up in rebellion to God. Those three things, just way, error, rebellion, right? Again, it's a warning to us. Woe to us. It's a warning. There's no substance to these false teachings. They might promise, but there's nothing there. And then in verses 12, through, uh, 12 and 13, uh, it gives us some great illustrations Think about these things. Some of them are more visual than others. But these are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, shepherds feeding only themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam on their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom utter darkness has been reserved forever. So these false teachers, these are, these are illustrations for what they, what they will be like, right? And some of them, like I said, mean more than others, but think about shepherds feeding only themselves. Is that really a good shepherd? They don't take care of the flock, they just want to take care of themselves, right? The waterless clouds. If you see a dark gray cloud, what's going to happen? It's going to rain. It's like a dark gray cloud that doesn't have any rain. It doesn't make sense to those false teachings. The other one's the wild waves of the sea casting up foam on their own shame. I thought that was a very good one. We stay on the river a lot. And there's these white balls that'll, you know, kind of float down the river. The little foam, foam balls, right, that float down the river. I think it's interesting here because I remember our kids, they started playing in them. And Renee's like, that's nasty. Right? Because those, those, <laughs> those are made just by sitting behind those little rocks, right? And then the foam and stuff, it just kind of grabs everything that floats by. And they're kind of, they look kind of cool floating down the river. But then when you get there, they're like all brown and yucky and, and nasty. Right? That's right here. You didn't know that West Virginia rivers were right here in the Bible, but they are. <laughs> you should check that after because that's not it. It's just parallel. Well, right? But that casting of the foam of their own shame. Right? So those are good illustrations of what false teachings, what false doctrine is all about. Verses 14 through 16, he talks about the ancient warnings of the past. And then verses 7 through 19, he gives us even more recent warnings. You see, he gives us so many warnings. 
Because even the Old Testament, Peter, Paul, they preached against it, but it's still a concern. So verse 14, it says, It was all about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and convict to all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. Anybody get a problem with ungodly there? How many times did he say that in the sentence? <laughs> ungodly. And all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, that they are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Again, these things are referenced here. If we go back to Deuteronomy 33.2, Deuteronomy 33.2, it says, The Lord came to, from Sinai and donned their seers upon us. He shone forth from Mount Param. Excuse me. He came from one of ten thousands of holy ones with a flaming fire at his right hand. The Old Testament, he's putting it right here again in the New Testament. And then Isaiah 66, 15 and 16, it says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his angry fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire the Lord will enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. There will be a judgment. This is a warning of it, right? And in the New Testament, 2 Peter, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, just like Jude reiterates, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, through Jesus Christ. Right? Excuse me, that was First John. I was like, wow, that sounds good. It fit, but it didn't quite fit. Sorry about that. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. There we go. Papers are stuck. There we go. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, back on the false prophets. But false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, you will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemy. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So they warn us over and over and over. They warn us, but how many times do we miss it? How many times do we miss it? If there's a set rat trap on the floor, are you going to stick your finger in it? No takers. You know they make some really good big rat traps now, by the way. Got some at Dollar General. They don't make them this big anymore. They make them this big. We wouldn't stick our finger in there, right? And that's what Jude is telling us here. He's warning us here that we have to be alert to those. Because we go out in our world today and we are fortunate, like Chris said, we are fortunate to worship a God that loves us and cares for us. He is just, though. He, he is just. We show him our love for him through our obedience. But we, we, have a, we have, when we look through a biblical lens, we have a worldview of a situation that other people don't have. And we have to make sure and realize that as we, and we're going to go talk about other people in just a second, but as we go to those people, they are looking at the world through a totally different set of lenses. So I shared this video on Wednesday night, Brian, to play it for us again. 
It's the same story told in two separate ways. So pay close attention to this story. Then we'll come right back. Got it, Brian? I get it? You see it? That was good. So that's, that's straight, straight there on YouTube. Lost in blindness is, is what that is. Lost in blindness. And it was, I made it sure that I watched y'all's faces. And most of you got it by the third or fourth line. Right? The third or fourth line. He met Jesus and his life was turned upside down. Right? So you see the darkness, the despair, the destruction. The woe, 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 woe that we just read through the first book of first part of Jude, and then through that. But then what? You meet Jesus, and then the same, same exact words, right back up, and how different of a story it tells to us. I've watched it ten times this week. It's really good, right? So, so back to Jude, because we, we've switched. We, we've switched now in the book of Jude. Now in verse um, 20, we, we get to what we're supposed to do here, right? In verse 20, but you, beloved, build yourselves up, right? We're going to start with several actions, but I want to tell you, uh, with Brother Dave Thomas last week, he talked about that huddle analogy and how... 
horrible and it doesn't make much sense it would be if we all got in a huddle and then we called a play and then we went and sat on the bench. Right? That stuck with me all week. Along with the monkey he can't get his hand out of the jar. That's another funny one. Right? But, uh, but we have to run the play. Right? And there's so many actions. There's so many verbs when I say so many, there's like six or seven packed into these few little verses that I want to make sure you pull them out and you highlight them. Right? But in verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Spirit. It's verse 20. Build yourselves up. Notice it's not singular. I picked out on that. Build yourself up. That's not what it says, does it? It says build yourselves up. And there's power in that community of believers. There's power in that church that we have to build each other up. So I just want to make sure that you see that there, that we must build ourselves up. But what do we build ourselves up in? We must build ourselves in not of the things of this world, but we must build ourselves up in the most holy faith. The most holy faith. And as a, as a study characteristics of God, as you guys read it, you realize, you know, this, this week we talked about evil a little bit too, that, that God is perfection. <laughs> he is truth. He is standard. Everything else is lacking. Is lacking. The most holy faith is God and seeking Him in His perfection. So how do we build each other up? I happen to have a visual. I didn't have three. But um, Renee's wife got, uh, Renee's friend, Renee's wife, Renee's friend, um, that would be me, yeah. Be me. Right, she got me these Legos a while back, right? And uh, she got me these Legos, and they're, re they're really cool. But they're, there's, uh, there's 66 Legos. Anybody know why there might be 66 Legos? And I'm standing on the platform today preaching to you. 66 books of the Bible, very good, right? And, and so e each one of these Legos has a book of the Bible, right? And, uh, right, and they're, they're kind of color-coded, and, and here's Jude, right? But I just wanted you to share these with you because it's, you know, I get them out and play with them sometimes, actually, right? But a warning to you is to, there's great lessons to be learned in books of the Bible, Right? But think about when we build each other up and how do we build ourselves up in the most holy faith? What should we do with the books of the Bible? Should we read just one of them at a time? Should we just stick with our favorite ones? Oh, I don't really like Revelation. I shouldn't look at that one. Everybody steer clear of that one. Right. But what do we have to do? To build on them. Right. All 66 books go together. Right. And we just have to continue to build on them. I'm not going to stack here, sit here and stack all 66. But I just wanted to tell you that we have to build each other up in our faith. And one of the primary ways to do that is staying in the Word of God. I tell you, there is a free plug for Wednesday nights again. I hate doing it, but it is such a great time of where we just throw a topic out there. And we, we, I share, I've been sharing, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. But then the other 15 or 20 minutes is let's just talk about it. And, and hearing people share their experiences and, and the truth in the scripture is revealed and that builds you up. <laughs> that builds you up. So please join us if you can. The only, the only bad thing about it is the blocks on the screen will get a little smaller. That's the only bad thing I could think would happen. 
But you come on, you will add, we'll get a bigger TV, I guess. Right? Get bigger blocks on there. Right? But we have to build each other up. Right? And we have to pray that the Holy Spirit um, guides us. Right? Your most holy faith and praying for the Holy Spirit. You know, we get this, the good angel, bad angel sitting on your shoulders. But why don't you put the Holy Spirit right in the middle? Right? Put the Holy Spirit in the middle. There's no good or bad that you have to choose from on that. But if you pray to the Holy Spirit and you study God's Word, it's going to be the truth right down the middle where we need it. Verse 21, it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Think about Psalms 91.1, like Brother Dave Thomas used last week. We keep yourselves in the love of God. What? Psalms 91.1 says, We abide in the shadow of the Almighty. We abide in the shadow of the Almighty. We have to stay in the love of God. And to do that, we have to be obedient, right? You ever think about how when you get, you know, I don't know if you put your hand on the oven top or anything. Everybody had that burn before? Yeah, probably. Right. But the closer you get to, the, to it, what? The hotter it gets, right? And for a bright light, the bright light, closer you get to it, what? The brighter it gets, right? I think about it in my life, the closer I stay to God, the brighter His light is, right? The closer we get to that energy, the closer we get to His Spirit, right? The closer we get to His Word and we stay in it, that's where I want to stay. That's where I want to stay. That's where I hope all of us stay. Right? One person said it this way. When we depart from his word and his will, we erect barriers between ourselves and God, thus blocking the free flow of his love toward us. It's very good. Toward us. In verses 20 and 21 here, there's another directional aspect of it I wanted to, to think about here. So the Christian life is viewed as having an inward look relating to the development of character. So in verse 20 it says, But you, beloved, build yourselves up, right? Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. But it has an upward look relating to the communion of God, right? And the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And then the last part in 21 is it says, waiting for the, um, uh, excuse me, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads where? To eternal life, right? So we have in ourselves up toward God and looking toward the future of where we need to go, packed in those few verses. Verse 22, it says, and have mercy on those who doubt. So the whole warning here in this message is that people will be led astray. They will hear these things continually around them that try to pull them away. But what should we do to those people? We should have mercy. We should have compassion and kindness on those people. Because there will be times when people struggle. Even the greatest of Christians or the greatest of believers, they will struggle at times. And they need us. Their church. Their community. They need us. Verse 23, it says, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. 
Simply put, there's no deep theological you know, thing to pull out of here, but snatch them out of the fire. I remember several years ago, I watched this uh, uh, series or the lesson of, uh, from Kirk Cameron, Ray Comfort, the, the Way of the Master. And that's how they started it. And it's an image in my head, the fact that if there's an apartment building burning, it's on fire. And there are people in there that's going to die. Are you going to sit there and read a book? If you knew how to save them and to save them from that fire, would you go get them? Would you? And that's the comparison to we know what people's final destination will be without the belief in Christ. We have it. We have the answer. We have the ability to put them in the place to make a decision. The Holy Spirit has to convict their hearts ultimately. But we have the knowledge to point them in the right direction. Will we go save them? We're commanded by God to do that. To snatch them out of the fire. Then it goes on to say, to show mercy with fear. I thought, what does this with fear mean? How, how do we show mercy with fear? And as you study that, you look at that, you show mercy with fear is that, yes, you're kind and you're compassionate, but you have to be fearful to the woe, right? You can't just be, oh, yeah, that's all right. And then you get sucked into their false believings and their false teachings, and now you fell victim to the wrong belief. So, yes, we should show mercy and kindness to other people, but we have to be fearful of the consequences of that if we're not strong in our own faith. And then it ends there in 22 saying, hating even the garment stained by flesh. We should be so fearful of sin and what it can do to us that we hate it. We hate it. The problem is a lot of us love sin in our lives. But as we become holy, God shows us what holiness looks like and challenges us to get rid of it. Sometimes it's easy. Like last week, Lily picked out this tie for me. I was really happy to wear it because I say it's my Walmart greeter tie, but if you look very close, it says, Jesus loves you. Right? It says, Jesus loves you. And I put it on and I look down. Sometimes I have to retie my tie three times because sometimes it's down here and then sometimes it's way up here. I haven't really got it figured out enough because I don't wear a tie too much. Right? But I had a big stain right here. Did I wear the tie? No, I didn't wear the tie. Why? Because I had a big stain on it. We don't want to have a big stain on us. As Christians, my wife doesn't walk on water, but she got the stain out. Right? She got the stain out. And that's what Jesus is going to do for us, right? He takes that stain out. And that leads us to the very final. It's called a doxology. It's called a conclusion. But as I read it, the one thing I hear is most, this is the most beautiful doxology in the Bible. That's what a lot of people say. So, and think about it, it is. <laughs> it is very beautiful. 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Look at it. Think about it. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. How many people like to fall on their face? I don't. <laughs> it hurts. Right? You fall on your face. Jesus keeps us upright. He keeps us 
blameless in the presence of his glory with great joy. I like that with great joy. Let's think about it. The blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Christ doesn't look at somebody and say, oh, I've got to save you too. <laughs> he, do- he doesn't do that, right? He goes after all hundred of those sheep. He goes after them and he's joyful to do so. And then it just ends with the glory, the majesty, the dominion for all time. For all time. We have but a short time. Eternity is so much longer. But we're challenged to, in this short time, to fight with everything that we have to protect our eternity, our family's eternity, but everyone else's that we come in contact with. That's what we have to fight for. So this little letter of Jude that's stuck here in the back, it's a lot of woe, it's a lot of warning. But it gets us ready to fight. And there's other things in the, in the, in the other scriptures that are, that are similar to that. You know, I think the shield, the breastplate, you know, the helmet that Paul talks about. And as I read and study, I realize there's times to pull out the big guns. <laughs> There's times to pull out the big guns, right? But people are so lost and so hurting, you don't need big guns. All you need to do is listen. All you need to do is listen and wait because you have a hope in Christ that so many people need. This stuff just doesn't stay here. I got tore up on Friday at work. I got tore up. At work. Just it's bad. I had to call in recruitments. It's our rotating work from home schedule. I had to call in help for a little piece of plastic that was missing. This guy is asserting his authority right beside of me on my home turf. I was getting ready to assert my authority because it was my home turf. All I heard was quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. It could have blew up. It's not about me. I'm t- the reason I'm telling this story is that, in case you didn't know, this stuff's real and it helps you. <laughs> it's real and it helps you no matter where you're at. The guy that was so upset, I took it. About 30 minutes, I took it. And I listened. What I realized is he didn't know how to handle his problem. And that's a work problem. He didn't know what to do with a bad piece of plastic on his line. He didn't know what to do with it. His fear came from the unknown. Just like everyone else that doesn't have Christ is fearful of the unknown. What happens after this? Wife and I have talked a lot about purpose the last couple of days. I don't feel my calling in life, my purpose in life is to make plastic parts, but I enjoy doing it. I like the improvement. But if God continues to keep preaching to me through plastic, I'm going to listen. <laughs> I'm going to listen. And I feel like I'm where I need to be, right? 
but people are lost. People are hurting. The challenge today is for you to be ready to fight, but realize sometimes you just have to listen. Take the gloves off because people don't want to fight. They just want hope, and we have that hope. Let's stand. Let's stand.